The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Tonight we're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to be looking about the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. As I'm looking out at you, I'm reminded of SeaWorld, where it appears we have a splash zone right here in the center of the sanctuary, uh, where uh, you obviously will not get wet. Uh, My name is Danny Ramos. I serve as the family ministry pastor here. That means I have the opportunity to work with some wonderful young people, uh, a number of our uh, middle school, high school, young adult group. And so uh, I just want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, As you look at the notes, uh, either online or uh, on the screen out in Solomon's porch or here, um, our takeaway is this. God's perfect love, think about that, God's perfect love flows through imperfect people. God's perfect love flows through imperfect people. The reason that's important to know is because we live in a day, we live in a time where we are very self-conscious of our flaws and our weaknesses. But I want you to know that God's plan from the beginning was to use you. His plan was to use you, your personality, your life experience. And, and, and his, he, his desire is that his love would flow through you to other people. And that's, that's very important to know. It was said of this missionary that he served God on the roof of the world. Let me explain what I mean to that. He was in Eastern Asia. He was in the country of Tibet. And during the course of the year, he would minister to the people in the valley and then take a break and go up to the higher elevations of the mountains and minister to the people there. And so over time, he had developed a ministry that was very vital, it was very important, until that one winter when why the mountains, uh, all the roads to the higher elevations became blocked because of the severe weather. And, And as he longed to minister to the people on the higher elevations, he was able to minister to those below, but he was unable to reach the people he came up with a plan in his, in, in, in his, with this dilemma. He said, I will take the time that I used to travel and minister to my brothers and sisters at these higher altitudes who I can't reach now. I will take that time and I will pray for them. I will continue to minister to the people here in the valley. That's what I want to do. But every time my heart yearns for my brothers and sisters, listen, who I can't reach, who I have no way of getting near, every time that happens, I am going to pray for them. And wouldn't you know that the conclusion of that winter, when he was able to make his way to the people on the higher elevations, that they were spiritually better off than those who he had been working with. It's important for you to know this evening that what you can't do, God intends to do. That whether it's in your life or with relationships with other people that you know or in our nation or around the world with a virus, with racial issues, with financial issues, as you sit here tonight, I want you to know this, that what you can't do, God will do for you as you cry out to him. And tonight we have the story of a man who exemplified what it was to be a friend or a neighbor to a stranger. 
Tonight we have the story of a man who, who is well known. We have hospitals named Good Samaritan Hospitals. We have laws that are entitled Good Samaritan Laws. And so as we begin tonight, I just want you to keep that in your mind. God's perfect love flows through imperfect people. The lawyer's question was regularly asked of rabbis as a new rabbi would come to town. This is the question that would be posed to them. It, it was asked in order to assess the, the teacher, teacher's knowledge and ability. In other words, in other words, what was going on was at this time there was a debate as to which was the greatest commandment. In other words, what precept of Moses, if obeyed, satisfied all the requirements of the entire law? It's a debate that might even go on today in various groups. Luke tells us that a lawyer, that is a scholar of the law, stood up and, and, and put to him, that is Jesus, to the test. The word test here is a nautical term. It speaks of sailors as they are getting near land, they take a sound, a weighted a rope and they drop it down and they, they bounce it off the bottom and they see the depths of the water. And with this man's question, question he sought to he sound out the depth of Jesus' knowledge, and more importantly, Jesus' character. The question would then launch multitude of questions until the man asked Jesus for clarification. And this is our point tonight. This is what we need to ask ourselves tonight. And to the Lord he said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You and I would think about the people that live on our street or, 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 or who live next to us or, or maybe people that we're familiar with, maybe not only in our neighborhood but in another neighborhood. But how we answer the question tonight is telling. Who is my neighbor? In the Jewish mind, a neighbor was a near dweller, somebody you knew. At this time and in this culture, somebody that you would depend upon. Maybe something was going on, there would be an illness in your house, you would go to your neighbor. Maybe there was a shortage of food or, 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 or a loss of some kind, you would go to your neighbor. Maybe there would be the loss of life, your neighbors would come to you. That was, was what was in the mind of those who heard the question. It was unthinkable, however, to ever consider a Gentile as your neighbor. That was an impossibility that never entered into the mind of Jesus' hearers. So as we begin tonight, I want to ask you, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? What if your neighbor looks different than you? Are they your neighbor? What if your neighbor acts different than you? Are they your neighbor? What if your neighbor, what if the individual that you're considering, what if they've even wronged you? Jesus would say, are they your neighbor? Are they your neighbor, are they those whom you are to show love? In 1 John 4.11, the beloved apostle says, Beloved, if God so loved us, another way you could say that is since, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The parable of the Good Samaritan reminds us that regardless of what we say with our lips, Regardless of what we say with our lips, regardless of how high we raise our hands to God, regardless of how much knowledge we have of the Holy Scriptures, 
The truth about what we believe about God or our love for God will only be seen in how we treat our neighbors. There are those conversations that take place when our circle is small and we're tempted to speak about them because they're not like us. Jesus said, who is your neighbor? There are those who politically, economically, academically are very, very different than us and tonight Jesus would ask you, are they your neighbors? The truth in what we truly believe believe is always seen, listen to me, is always seen in how we treat another person. Many years ago, I served as a youth pastor up in Fallbrook, a small community up the the 15 here. And one of the things that I enjoyed more than any other time was on Wednesdays at lunchtime, I would visit my youth group. Now, in those days, they would eat together. They would always eat together. They would hang out together. And it was convenient for me to go to campus and to touch base, if you will, because we had our youth program on Wednesday nights. So I'm walking across campus, I'm waving to kids, kids are yelling, hey, are we taking communion tonight? Yes, we'll see you there. There's other students who I hadn't seen in a while and they say, hey, I have, I have football practice. I go, no, that's okay, that's okay. I understand you can't come. I just wanted to say hi. It was this one, one day where a young man, he, uh, he, he was disabled and, 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 and he would be brought to this group, this circle of students and and, and there he would eat with them. His name was Joey. And I'll never forget, this, this, this occurrence will ever, forever mark my mind. Listen to what happened. So the students are, are sitting there, they're socializing, they're talking about what's going on in school, what's going on among them. And all of a sudden, one of the students noticed that Joey, because of his disability, was having difficulty with his pizza. And I'll never forget it. This young man in in his letterman jacket puts his lunch down, gets up, walks over to Joey, gets on his knees, and helps Joey finish his slice of pizza. When I got in my truck that day to return to the church, I wept. And I said, today, on Fallbrook High School campus, I have found myself in the presence of Jesus. Today I have been with students who will not allow another student on this campus to eat lunch by themselves without an invitation to join us. But Danny, they don't believe like we believe. Please join us. Don't be by yourself. John 13, John would write in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another Just or in the same way that I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, listen, by this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my students, if you have love one for another. When we love When we, let me say that a little different. When we choose to love those who are different than us, 
those who have wronged us, the world, those who never in a million years, exaggeration, right? That's, 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 that's what I did. Those who never in a million years would consider Christ will consider Christ. Those who won't listen to our preaching or our teaching, those who will not listen to our political views, those who will reject everything about us will see something happen in their presence that is so powerful and dramatic that, they, that, they, that something happens within them as we love one another. It's important to know tonight that loving others is rooted in knowing that God loves you. That, that as we receive God's love, as, as we know our imperfection, as we are aware of our weaknesses and we see his incredible love for you and for me, that that becomes our motivation to allow God to love others through us. Because we're not talking theory. We're not, we're not saying what somebody else said. We are literally sharing the love that has shaped and formed us to even have a heart to love those who are different than us. We cannot give what we have not received. I want you to think about love, that it is beyond emotion. There is a profound yet practical way to know we are loved, and it will always be rooted in this, seeing what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Sometimes life circumstances say, well, you know, Danny, we put you in this category, or we put you, we put you with this group. But God's love says, God love says, you belong to me. You belong to me. In Romans 5.8, Paul writes, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in our worst while we were in our worst condition, Jesus left heaven to die for you. Jesus so valued you that he came to this earth to die on the cross so that you, so that you could know him. Please remember, God's perfect love flows through imperfect people. We begin the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And we will begin with loving God most, verses 25 through 29. Let's go ahead and look at our story tonight. And behold, or take note, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, speaking to Jesus, this, this lawyer, this, this scribe, and he says to Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? These individuals were always asking questions. As a matter of fact, as the Bible scholars struggle as to whether the man's question is sincere, that is that he would personally had a desire to know what it would take to inherit eternal life, or if he was trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a um, contradiction. Verse 26, and Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He, he marries, he brings together two Old Testament passages. In verse 28 he says, and he said to him, this is Jesus' response to the scholar, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, then who is my neighbor? And that is the question that we look at tonight. And that is the question that I pose to you tonight. Who is your neighbor? Who are you to love? Well, there's no question we're to love God. But how will we know we love God unless we love others? How will we know the Spirit of God indwells us unless God's love flows through us? How will the world know that Jesus came into this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead, and that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he's returning one day? The way the world will know is when the church, Amen. when believers love each other, when we love those who don't deserve to be loved because we recognize that God loved us. This story you will only find in Luke's gospel, and I find Luke very interesting. You see, he was a Greek, he was a doctor, he was a physician. He wasn't with Jesus, however, he was a wonderful researcher. If you read Luke, and as Pastor Ray is also studying through the book of Acts, you see that he was a man who interviewed those who were present. And there was something about this story that resonated within him. You see, he was a Gentile. He was an outsider. He was somebody who, even in, his, even in his Greek, he spoke a different kind of Greek. There was everything in his life that told him that there was something different about him. But this story spoke to him. And it's my prayer that as we work our way through this, this story will speak to you. Because as we're sitting here tonight, God will speak to you as who he wants you to call your neighbor. The lesson is about who we choose to love. And it's a conscious decision. It has more to do with who you choose to love than who you feel like loving. It has more to do with your love of God being directly connected to whom God will have you love and it's, in power, it's very powerful. In Luke, in, in verse 25, he's described as a lawyer, he is a scribe, he's an expert in all things, again, a scholar of the Mosaic law. As a matter of fact, people would come to him when they were unsure how to apply the law to their everyday lives. You can imagine the practicality of people coming and saying, well, the law says this, but in my business, how does that play out? And he was a man who knew the people. He was a man who knew the law. His question is both personal and public. He asked this question in front of all those who were gathered there that day. As a matter of fact, it says, Luke tells us that he stood up. He had likely been listening to Jesus' teaching. Jesus pauses, and the man stands up and asks Jesus about the greatest commandment. And he asks him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You need to know that this man had an idea as to what the answer would be. 
He knew the correct answer. He wanted to know who Jesus was. He wanted to know what Jesus believed, what G, how Jesus would explain the Old Testament law. He wanted to find out more. Remember, he's sounding out. He's testing to find out who Jesus is. And it's important as you sit here tonight that you know who Jesus is. Well, Danny, I can tell you from the Gospels who Jesus is, but have you experienced Jesus? Do you know his smile? Do you know that he smiles? Do you know that he smiles on you? Do you know, my friends, tonight that he's pleased with you? Do you know that we're told in the pages of Scripture he's like a shepherd who doesn't drive you and push you and criticize you? But do you know that he's a shepherd, that he speaks to you, and as he speaks to you, through thoughts, through the Scriptures, through the love of others, do you know that you follow him? Do you know that there's something about his voice and his nature that draws you to him? Do you know that he calls you by name? Do you know that he watches over you when you sleep? And oh, tonight, tonight, you need to know that when you weep, he weeps with you. That when you're afraid, he draws near He is the God who is near. He is not the God who is distant. So this man wants to know what Jesus believes. Jesus answers the man's question with two questions of his own. What is written in the law? How do you read or how do you interpret it? To which the man responds with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. You'll recognize this passage. It's very common. It's very familiar. As a matter of fact, this is a prayer that Jewish men would offer in the morning and the evening. As this man presents his answer to Jesus, every Jewish man that was present there would know this prayer. They were familiar with it. They recited it at the beginning of their day. They recited it at the end of their day. And so the man says, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. Why is that important to know? Because Israel was unique and distinct from all the other countries. All the other Persian, all the other people of the world worshiped a variety of different God, a pantheon, if you will. But Israel said there's one God. There's one true God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. It's important as you're here tonight, when you see the word hear, when you hear me say the word hear, it means to listen or to pay attention. My mom, she's about this tall. And and her hair is about that tall. I know it's hard to believe by looking at me up here tonight that that my mom has a lot. My mom's this this little Hispanic gal with this hair over here. She had two ways to get my attention. She would say, mijo, come here which always ended with a hug or a peck, a peck on, on the forehead. Or she will say, Daniel Jr., you get over here right now. Both, both 
Both ways that she would address me meant, get over here, get over here now. One would cause me to move quickly. The other would cause me to move in the opposite direction because she's sure she couldn't outrun me, and I know that she would have to catch up with me later. And God says, here, pay attention, draw near. This word is the Shema. That's what this prayer is called, the Shema. So the man's response was familiar. The people knew what he was saying. In the Jewish mind, to hear meant to esteem the speaker, to so esteem a speaker that one would naturally obey his words. To so esteem the Lord that whatever he would ask you to do, you would be glad to do. Let me say it another way. You would love to do. The Shema then tells us to love God with our whole being. Verse 27, true to form, the man quotes the law and adds Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want you to hear this terminology. I want you to think of perfectly loving someone, to think of continually loving without interruption, as yourself denotes actions, not necessarily words that are filled with emotion like you and I would typically think of when we hear love, but words that are filled with purpose, that when I hear God speak, when I read God's word, because he loves me and because I so love him, my inclination is to obey. There's pleasure in obeying. Sometimes when we have our conversations, you might tell me of a goal or a challenge in your life. When we're young, you might say, you know, Danny, I I plan on going to this university and I plan on having this career. And Danny, it'd be wonderful if I had this salary or or it'd be great when I get married. And, and, And I want you to know, run with those desires. Get the best education that you can. Get the best career that you can. Find something that fulfills you, that gives you a sense of purpose. But when you achieve your goal, do this as well. When you have that office or that title, when you have that compensation or that position, when you've achieved your goal, look around for somebody to help up. Look for a coworker or somebody who maybe on the flow chart is a little lower than you, oh, please hear me, and use what God is giving you to lift somebody else who's lower than you to your position. Can I tell you what happens? That's not the way the world works, is it? That's not wise counsel to, to, to some, but let me tell you what happens. When you use what God has given you or what you've achieved, I'm not going to take anything away from you. When you use it to love somebody else, can I tell you what happens in the spiritual realm? The kingdom of darkness crumbles and falls and the kingdom of God expands. Let 
You and I look at the happenings around the world and we say, evil, evil, evil. And God says, help that person who's struggling. You help them up to your level and that evil will be addressed. In that conversation, when people are highlighting another group and you say, hey, I can't participate in this conversation because that's wrong. The kingdom of darkness begins to decay and crumble by the wayside. And the kingdom of God begins to expand. One voice, my friends, tonight, one expression of love is the most powerful thing that we can see in this day of the greatest opportunity for the church. We are marching forward. We are watching the kingdom of darkness flee. And we are watching lives. We are watching lives come back to life if we will use, if we will allow God's perfect love to to flow through imperfect people. In verse 29, we have a question that launches into the story when we're told that the scribe desiring to justify himself, that is the lawyer attempts to qualify who he is obligated to love when he asks who is my neighbor. Jesus' answer is illustrated in the story we will now consider. This is how we love our neighbor. This is how, this is who our neighbor is and this is how we love our neighbor. Loving others best, beginning in verse 30. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, He had compassion. And, but a Samaritan. Everybody in Jesus' hearing would have thought one of them, not one of us. A Samaritan is on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. A Samaritan is in the region of Galilee. A Samaritan is in a land where he feels uncomfortable. A Samaritan is where wherever he is, people look at him, people point at him, people whisper about him. But a a Samaritan, as he's making his way through a country, through a land, through a people who are not only very different than him, but who also hated him, as he's making his way, as he's doing what he's not supposed to do when he experiences compassion, is the very focal point of Jesus' answer. And Jesus says, this is what love looks like. He went to him, that is a man that was left for dead. He bound him or bandaged up his wounds and he poured oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal, probably his donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that is he paid for his expenses and the man's expenses, And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. It's important for you to know that Jericho is 846, almost 850 feet below sea level. 
It's also important for you to know that Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. The journey is obvious, a descent, a very narrow road that goes down, 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 going from the, from the Judean hills down into the desert. It, it, it's something like going out to Palm Desert uh, you know, during the summer months. And so they're going down, 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 very narrow, very tight turns, making the man very vulnerable to thieves and to robbers. And this is what Jesus said. He fell among robbers. That is, he was surrounded by men who were professional. He was surrounded by men who were thieves and vicious. He was surrounded by evil. They stripped him and beat him and left him half dead. Jesus' story leaves a man dying in the middle of the road. He leaves him dying in the middle of the road. In verse 31, we read that it was by chance that a priest was going down the road, the same path, the same road. And just like the man, he was heading towards Jericho. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. That is, the priest is now returning home from his service in the temple, and he's preparing to go to Jericho, or is likely where his family lived. And as he comes to the man in the middle of the road, It says that he walks to the other side, that is on that narrow road, he walked as far as he possibly could around the man. And so likewise, verse 32, a Levite, when he came upon the man, he passed by the other side just as the priest had. He too had served in the temple. He too, listen, he too had for probably a week gave service to God in the temple And as he returned home, he found this man laying in the road and he leaves him. The story's point is that two respected religious leaders saw the beaten man and did nothing. They did not love their neighbor. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan is introduced into the story by Jesus. The expectation was that it would be a Jew who would rescue the wounded man. As we know, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. It was unthinkable that a Samaritan would help a Jew under any circumstance, but this is Jesus' story, and Jesus is illustrating as to who is your neighbor. And Jesus pulls out of this time and out of this culture the person who would most illustrate as to who is a neighbor. It says that he had compassion on him. The Samaritan is very much like Jesus. In verse 34, it says, And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. We believe that possibly, again, this is a story, but the only bandages he would have had is if he would have taken his garment and he would have torn it, strips of cloth from his clothing, the wine would have served as antiseptic. The oil would have soothed the man's bruises and broken skin. Do you see the tenderness with which the man, the Samaritan, treats this nameless Jewish man, this victim of the robbers? Jesus paints the Samaritan as being very generous and as loving of the injured man. He then puts him on his own animal, likely that he was riding, and he brings him to an end. And then throughout the night... Then throughout the night, the Samaritan cares for the man. 
giving him water, assuring him that he's okay, changing of bandages, caring for the man. And then in the morning, he assures the innkeeper that not only would he pay for their expenses thus far, but that he would cover future expenses. As we conclude tonight, think about this. The hated Samaritan loved the man more than those who memorized large portions of scriptures. The hated Samaritan loved more than those who served in the temple, that is, worshiping God. He loved more than the men who prayed twice a day about loving God and loving their neighbors. The Samaritan's actions spoke louder than those who claimed to love God. Verse 36 and 37, Jesus reminds us that loving mercy always. Then Jesus asked the man, which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Remember what the question was? What is the commandment I need to observe what is the commandment upon which the whole law is supported. There was a reference to loving God, then there was a reference to loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus presents the story of three individuals who had the opportunity to love, but only one was moved with compassion. Are you moved with compassion? When we hear about those who are sick, those who are ill, maybe even in the hospital, or you move with compassion, God calls on you to love. Are they like our initial story about the, the, the missionary in the Himalayas there outside of your reach? Then the time that you would spend with them, cry out to God on their behalf. Bible teachers highlight the fact that the lawyer cannot bring himself to say that of the three that showed mercy, that didn't show mercy, uh, of the three it was the Samaritan. Now beyond the story, beyond the claims of loving God, we rest on the fact that our love for God is always seen in the way we show love to those who are, listen, very different than us. the way we love those who are very different than us. By way of application, just two questions. Who are your neighbors? We're done, we're finished, we're getting ready to have communion, but will you ponder for a minute, who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? second question is this, who's your Samaritan? Who is that individual that if you were to bring, bring them up in a private conversation with friends, that people would roll their eyes, or people would say derogatory things about, who is your Samaritan? We live, as I said earlier, we have a unique opportunity. Instead of thinking that we have suffered loss in any way, in any capacity, God 
has given us the greatest, one of the greatest opportunities the evangelical church has ever experienced. By slowing down our lives and allowing us to hear who is your neighbor? Who is your Samaritan? How you answer that question is God calling you to love. God is calling you to love them. Lastly, from Micah 6.8, the prophet says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Oh, my friends, we may not be able to reach those who are beyond our grasp, those who because of circumstances or ideologies we cannot touch, but if we will take time to pray for them, God will do what you cannot do. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.